So at the risk of sounding like I have questions right out of the trite handbook, you know what the trite handbook is, you know those duh questions like you should know the answer to them. I want to ask you a couple questions this morning as a way of introduction into what we're talking about today. And I wonder, you don't need to raise your hand or anything, but do you long to live a life that's impactful, meaning it, it's, it influences other people's life for good, for the kingdom of God, for Christ, for his glory? Do you, do you long to have prayers that are answered where you can know that you went before the Lord and you made your requests of him and then you saw prayers get answered? That all of us would say yes to that. How about growing in your capacity to love? Or when you're cursed, you bless. How many have a hard time with that? When someone's critical or, or judgmental of you and, and it's you just ah, react, right? That's the natural thing that seems to come out of us. I want that to change in me that when I'm, when I'm cursed, blessing flows out. Because all of these things are us becoming like Jesus more and more. We're concluding today a series that we've been in for seven weeks called Seven Miles. Today is mile seven. And what we've been looking at is in Luke chapter 24, there, there is the resurrected Jesus. Luke 23, he dies on a cross. He said that he was going to be buried. He was. And on the third day, he would rise again. And in Luke chapter 24, we see the risen Jesus. And we see him, we see these two guys One's name is Cleopas, and the other we don't know his name, but they're on the road to Emmaus. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and it's a seven-mile walk. And we thought, man, what a great metaphor of our walk with Jesus, the seven miles that they walked um, hearing Jesus and watching, listening to him share truth from the Old Testament about the gospel. And so Jesus finds these two guys downtrodden. They had seen him die on the cross, but they didn't recognize him when he shows up on the road to Emmaus. And he, and he starts talking to them, and he begins to explain to them that the Messiah had to suffer and die and on the third day rise again. And he walks seven miles with them. And at the end of the seven miles, they come to the one of their homes, and they invite Jesus in for a meal, and he breaks bread. And the moment he breaks bread, their eyes are open, and they recognize Jesus. They recognize that this was... This was Christ glorified, risen on the third day. And they said, and then immediately it says that Jesus disappeared from amongst them and that they looked at each other and were like, man, why didn't we recognize him? Weren't our hearts burning within us that, that of what he was saying? Well, it says that they turned around and they walked that seven mile journey back to Jerusalem and they found the apostles and they began to say, it's true. Jesus has risen from the grave just like he said he was going to. And then immediately Jesus appears again and he explains to the apostles the same thing from, from all the Hebrew scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer and die and on the third day rise again. And through this, Jesus commissions them. He commissions them to go and preach the good news throughout the world. He tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit that was going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost and the rest is history from there. So mile one was walking with Jesus. Mile two was recognizing Jesus. Mile three was doubting Jesus. How many know that having doubts is part of our journey, right? Um, then we talked about knowing Jesus, mile four. Mile five was being empowered by Jesus. 
Mile six last week was worshiping Jesus and today abiding in Jesus. So the word abide, what does that mean? If you have um, more of a word for word translation, ESV, New American Standard, it uses this word abide, King James or New King James. Some of the more modern translations use the word remain. But what that this this original word means is to stay in, to continue, to dwell, to live in, to continue on in. And what a perfect message for people who are being baptized that today it doesn't end here, right? Your baptism is a mile marker in your walk with Jesus to say, I'm with him. So regardless of where you are in our journey, he wants us to abide in him and to continue in him. And I was thinking and praying through this that if 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 you're weary today, which it can get weary in life, if you're weary from the fight, if you're weary from relationships, you're weary from temptation, you're weary from just the stuff that life throws our way, I believe the answer is right here for you today and that God has some good news for each one of us. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of John 15, one of the greatest passages about abiding or remaining in Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. He's telling his disciples this. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you... Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Jesus uses an agricultural illustration here to talk about our relationship with God. It's this agricultural picture of of a vineyard and how you have the vine and then the branches and the branches producing fruit because it's connected to the vine. And a lot of times I, I hear people in the modern world get too modern and they say, oh, you know, we shouldn't use like sheep and shepherd or farming and seed and soil illustrations for the christian life we live in a modern world it's it's technology it's more fast-paced people don't don't relate to that well the problem is spiritual life christianity following jesus is not instantaneously right we can pull out our phones get on an app and boom get answers like that and everything's instantaneously we live in an instantaneous world right everything should be at the tip of our fingers and if you try to apply that to abiding in Jesus or growing in your relationship with God, you're going to be sorely disappointed. How many have figured that out, right? It just it's, it takes patience. It takes sowing a seed, nurturing the seed, nurturing the ground, watering it. It takes patience to grow in our relationship with God. 
It's not high tech, high pass, fast pace. It is, it is really understanding that. A couple years ago, we went to, uh, we went to Grand Junction. And on the western slope, the, the climate is, is, is right for planting vineyards. How many have ever done that over on the western slope? They make some, some good wines and all kinds of things over there from grapes in the state of Colorado, right? You don't think about that. But we went over there and I remember walking and touring through some of the, the vineyards and you could see the, the vine and then the branch and then the fruit coming off of it, the grapes coming off. It's pretty cool. I got a couple pictures. Gets you a, a mental image. Doesn't that look good right there? Those are some good looking grapes. So you have, you have your vine, then you have the branch, and then you have the fruit coming off it. This is the picture, the mental image that Jesus wants us to have by way of just simple reminder. The vine is Jesus. He's, he is the vine. The vine dresser or the grape farmer is the father. The father is the vine dresser. He's the, the grape farmer. The branch is us. So I can't, I've had a laser pointer or something. You, know, you can see where the branch is, where the fruit is being produced. That's you and I. It's the picture that Jesus wants us to have. Now the fruit, the grapes, so to speak, are, represent the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives, both forming our character and in doing what Jesus wants us to do. So the fruit is both inward and outward. It's the inward fruit of the Holy Spirit, like Galatians 5 says, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's an inward character change, that when we're connected to Jesus, when we're walking in the Spirit, He produces that fruit in our life. All you have to do is get on I-70 and try to go east from Westminster or Arvada on during rush hour, and you're going to find out whether the fruit of the Spirit is being worked in your life or not, right? Pray, Lord, give me patience. Oh, okay, well, let's get in rush hour so that he can actually, he produces the fruit. That that branch and that vine isn't over there struggling to go, ah, produce fruit, produce fruit, produce fruit. No, it comes naturally out of the 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 branch drawing life from the vine so that it can produce the fruit. So I wonder today, do you long to have impact? Do you long to be a better person? Here's the answer. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does that mean? Well, to abide in him means to maintain a living, active relationship with him. We need to maintain a living, active relationship with him the same way that that branch has to stay connected to draw nourishment, water, etc., to produce fruit. So us, spiritually speaking, need to stay connected to Jesus in our walk with Him. And to abide in Him means moment by moment trusting Him to meet all your needs and be your deepest treasure. To abide in Him means moment by moment trusting in Him to meet all your needs and be your deepest treasure. It's dependence. To abide in Jesus is to depend upon him solely. Right now, I'm depending upon this stage to not cave in. That would hurt. Like, there's a pretty good distance. And I, if I caved in, I'm in trouble. So, Jesus, I'm standing on you. I'm with you. I'm trusting in you to, to meet all my needs. And then to see him 
as the deepest treasure of life, more than money, more than career, more than a good family or right kids or any of this stuff, that, Lord, you're my deepest treasure. And here's the deal. God is way more concerned about our abiding in Christ than our activity for Christ. We get it backwards. We think our activity for Christ is the first and foremost thing that he wants from us. But like TJ said, when the Lord was speaking to him about relationship, God doesn't need our activity. Let's figure that out right away. He needs, he wants our hearts. He wants us to be connected. He wants a relationship with us. And then from that relationship comes our activity for him, our ministry for him. In baseball, um, sadly, like, who do you root for in the World Series now? Like, I'm dying over this, but I guess I'll watch, like, WNBA or something. But um, Gilligan's Island rerun, whatever. But you don't run to second base when you hit the ball out of the infield, right? You got to go to first base. In our spiritual life, we often want to run to second base and be active for Jesus and do all these things when what he wants first from us is to be connected to him, to abide in him. You remember the stories in the gospel about, about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, there was a, a gathering, I believe, at Martha's house. And Martha's running around, meeting needs, being hospitable. This is many of you in this room. Being hospitable, meeting needs, cooking food. Is everybody happy? Everybody have something to eat? And, and then there's Mary. She's got the audacity just to sit at the feet of Jesus. And listen to him teach and adore him. And Martha's just going, what is her deal? Like there's a lot of work to be done and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she complains to Jesus. Jesus, I'm doing all this and she's just sitting at your feet. It's kind of ticking me off. (laughs) And Jesus says to her, she's chosen the better thing. In other words, I don't need you to be active for me. I want you to abide with me. And I really believe God is going to take some of you who've been walking with him for a long time today and remind you to come back to the simple things, to come back to the simple things of staying connected with him and making him the deepest treasure of your life. And those of you that are unsure what life's about, it's about this. It's about relationship with him. God doesn't want us to do more for him. He wants to be he wants us to be with him more. If you're just active for Jesus and you're not abiding in him, you're going to burn out, period. So how do we abide in Jesus? Let's make this real practical. How do we abide in him? When Jesus commands you and I to do something, this catch this. When he commands you and I to do something, it's because it doesn't come naturally to us. So if he tells, do this, abide in me, remain in me, apart from do nothing, When he says that, it's because abiding in him is not going to come natural to to you and I. We'd rather do things on our own, be busy, be active, going 100 miles an hour than slowing down and being with him. So how do we do this? A couple things. Focus the best of your attention and affections on him. He says, abide in me and I in you. That is intentional focus. It's an intentionality in our life that he's going to get the best of my attention, that he is going to get the best of my affection, and I'm going to stay connected as the branch does to the vine. 
Now, theologically speaking, biblically, there's a, you know, a word that's used for our connection to Christ, and it's called our union with Christ. Paul writes about this in the letters to the churches throughout, you know, Ephesians, Colossians, etc., over and over and over. It's this word about being in Christ. In Christ, we have this. In Christ, we have that. And all the promises are connected to being in Christ. When you come to Jesus by faith, you're in union with him. You are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says we've been baptized by Jesus into the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit into Christ, we've been baptized. So there's this connection. But here's, here's what we have to understand. And some of you, this is going to going to touch your heart a little bit union with christ doesn't guarantee communion with christ just the same way in a marriage a couple make their public declaration of their vows they're in covenant with one another they're legally married does that guarantee communion as a couple does that guarantee intimacy and friendship no there's many couples who are married and have a covenant and legally they don't know each other they're not in communion with each other So let's take that with Jesus. Like you're in Christ that doesn't guarantee communion. and We need that. That's what he's calling out of us in this passage. How do we do that? Talk to him. Talking always leads to intimacy. Talk to Jesus. Think about him often. Like think about him. Like intentionally focus your mind on the person and work of Jesus and what he's done for you and who he is. Thank him for what he's done for you. Talk about him with others. Like, that's the purpose of a home group. That's the purpose of coming together is to talk about one, uh, Jesus with one another. When you do that, you're abiding in him. You're focusing your attention on him. I mean, here we did heard TJ share a, just a glimmer of his story. Did that not encourage you that God's on the move and he's bringing people to himself? That encourages me. That makes me pop out of bed tomorrow ready to do this again. And it it encourages. So talk about him with others. But then also talk about him with folks who don't believe. Philemon chapter 1 verse 7. There's only one chapter says. I pray that you be active in sharing your faith. So that you know every good thing that you have in Jesus. The more you share your faith. The more you realize you have in him. Second thing. After we focus the best of our attention and affection on him is forget trying to do life without him. Forget trying to do life without him. For apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what that says? For apart from me, you can do a couple things. Apart from me, you can do zip. Zero. Nothing. Not a tostada, right? You can't do one thing without Jesus. And I was thinking about this, like, do I believe this? Do you believe that we can do nothing apart from him? I believe it here, but my actions don't always show that, if I was to be honest with you. Lord, I got this. Watch me. Watch me, Lord. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll pick you up when you fall, you know. Like, we have to remember that. The the promise, uh, I bet many people in this room know Philippians 4.13. What does Philippians 4.13 say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, often people quote that. Athletes will say it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, boom, let me knock you out or whatever. 
in the MMA ring or whatever because I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. And I always wonder, like, why did you get knocked out then? Like, what happened there? But a whole other story. Um, but you have to see Philippians 4.13 through this scripture of apart from me, you can do nothing. Whatever Jesus calls you to do, in whatever you, circumstances you find yourself in, when you're connected to him, yes, you can do all things through him who strengthens you. When you're disconnected, no, you, you're not going to be able to do it. It's staying connected, maintaining a vital living relationship with him. So here's, here's the challenge. Unless intimacy and friendship with Jesus does not become the first priority of my life, I'm never going to have the power to fulfill his call on my life. You won't either. Unless friendship and intimacy becomes or is the first priority of my life, then I'm going to struggle. I'm going to sometimes feel like a not only just doggy paddling in the middle of the ocean, but I'm drowning. But when you come back to him, say, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. Watch what he'll do through you. Third thing is this. Flame your heart with his word. Flame your heart with his word. It's good preachers speak today. All the points will begin with F, so you can begin to see if you can get ahead of me here or not. But flame your heart with his word. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Deepen our relationship. Let's deepen our relationship with Christ by spending time in his word, like intentionally setting apart time to read the word. If you don't do that, then you're not flaming your heart with truth. You're not flaming your heart with what he's told us to do and what he wants for our life. The word teaches us about God, his promises, his attributes, his purpose for our life. Let's don't avoid that. Let's stay consistent in the word of God. I was thinking about this. When you read letters from famous people, like if you Googled famous love letters, for example, you'll see like a love letter from Ronald Reagan to Nancy Reagan or John Adams to Abigail Adams or many other people. And you see these letters and you read them and it's cool. Like you, you get a little insight into people's relationships, right? And it's like, oh, that's neat. But there's no substitute, so to speak. There's, there's, there, reading a letter from someone isn't the same as knowing the person who wrote you the letter, right? You've heard this a hundred times from me this year, but we have two kids that joined the military this year. And back in March, our oldest, Chase, just ripped the, ripped the scab off, ripped the Band-Aid off. Hey, Dad, I joined the Navy. Oh, okay, like, um, let, can we talk about this? No, it's done. And I'm glad she did. But as a dad, my firstborn child, a girl going to the Navy and going to boot camp, right? And she, when, the day I took her down so that she was getting on a plane to, to go to Great Lakes, Illinois, to go to boot camp, man, that was one of the biggest struggles of my life. And I was in the middle of a lot of stuff going on and so she says, Dad, I get one phone call. And as soon as I get there, I'm going to call you, and it's going to be quick. So I see the phone rings. I answer it. Hey, Jason. She goes, Dad, I got to go. Bye. 
And in the background, I hear this, you put that da, da, ba, ba, phone down, da, da, da. And I'm like, oh, crap. You got to be kidding me. That's it. That's my last phone call to my sweetheart. And so I sat there for two weeks going, what in the world is she going through? I'm dying over here, right? So for two weeks, I just sat there and tolerated this until I went out to the mailbox every day. And ah, there was a letter in her cute little handwriting. And I opened it up and it was a letter to me. And she told me about what was going on and that she was okay. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, I feel so much better. And every day I would go out to the mailbox, another letter, a couple letters here and there. And uh, I was like, this is awesome. I still have those letters saved as a keepsake. Well, Damien, our youngest, joined the Coast Guard this year. And he went off to boot camp. And uh, I got one letter. <laughs> He's a boy, right? But it was cool to see his letter and to have him, you know, hey, I miss you and I miss our conversations and you taught me well and all those kind of things that a dad wants to hear. I'll tell you, the reason I say all that is when something's written to you personally, it's different. And until you see that this book, everything in it was written to you personally, this is not some generic thing. This is personal to you. And if when you spend time in it and you see it, how much God loves you and its personal direction and love and guidance for your life, it'll flame your heart. Fourthly, find your identity in his love. Find your identity in his love for you. Abide in my love. That's how you stay connected to him. We all find our reason for existence. We all find our purpose, so to speak, or our self-worth or whatever. We tend to find it in something or someone. We have to. And when it's not in Christ and his love for us, we're going to struggle. When you try to find your identity in your kids... You're harming them and yourself. Kids got to be the best. Like, is it not Little League sports, like, turned upside down? Like, come on. None of them are going pro, right? Like, give them a break. Let them have some fun. And yet, we're on them, on them, on them. This can't, da, 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 go, 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 go. And it's like, they, they hate sports by the time they had high school sometimes. Don't find your identity in your career. Don't find it in your 401K. Don't find it in ministry. Do you know how many pastors burn out on a weekly basis? There are more men and women in ministry leaving the ministry than there are going into ministry anymore. And the reason is, and I talk to a lot of pastors, it's so easy to find your identity in the size of your church. First thing somebody will say is, oh, you're a pastor? How many people go to your church? I don't know, but I love them all. Like, I mean, I can't count. Give me a break. And that's what we... we we think that success is, do we have the biggest church or this or that? And so pastors are under this burden. And I would plead with you as your pastor, please pray for me. That I would never find my identity in the size or success of our church. Pray for me that I would just be faithful to Jesus. And I would be faithful to you guys. Please, I beg you to do that. His love for you and I is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about any of us is his love for us. Lastly, follow his instructions. If you're going to abide in him, follow his instructions. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, do what he says to do, right? Do what he says to do. When you and I directly disobey what Jesus has told us to do, we we, we do the opposite or we don't do what he says to do, we temporarily disconnect ourselves from drawing life from him. It's just inevitable. He doesn't go anywhere, we do. And so when I directly disobey his words, then I'm not staying connected with him and then I'm open for all kinds of temptations and different things to come deeper in our life. But obedience, on the other hand, deepens the connection. The more you and I practice what Jesus says to do, the deeper the connection is and the more fruit there's going to be in our life. I'm as sick of my cough as you are, trust me. Um, I want to go back to verse 2, and I'm going to bring this to a close, okay? But I felt really like this was important. In verse 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let's camp here for a second. The chili is going to be there, I promise. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. What does that mean? I've heard all kinds of people try to bring answers to that and, and all of, you know, what does that mean and so forth. But um, you got to know the original language a little bit. And in the original language, to take away literally means to lift up. So if you can picture, you have to kind of go to a vineyard in your mind, picture the, the, the branch, the, the vine and the branch. And if the branch gets down on the ground and starts growing downward, it gets dirt on it and it, it, it goes the wrong direction and it, it becomes fruitless. It, it doesn't produce the kind of fruit that it needs to. And so the, the vine dresser has to lift up and dust off and maybe even kind of fasten it up higher so that it actually can grow away from the ground. Now, what does that mean for you and I? I believe that when he says every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Notice that he says it's in me. So there is a connection with him. But sin in our life, when you and I willfully sin, when you and I willfully, without repentance, without check, without remorse in our life, we're going to become unfruitful. And we're not going to produce the kind of fruit that he wants to produce in us. And so he wants you and I to cooperate with him. And he'll come in and he'll discipline us. If our lives are consistently not bearing fruit as his followers, he is going to discipline you. Now here's the, here's the good part of this though. He is a perfect father. And the Bible says that God, that a, a good father disciplines out of love because that child is part of the family. Now when this, this discipline happens, it is not a angry retribution for what we've done. It's lovingly training in righteousness. So those of you that are parents today, don't ever discipline your children in anger. Don't ever discipline in retribution. You discipline to train your kids in righteousness. You discipline. Don't put your finger in the light socket. Don't play in the street. What are you doing? You're protecting them. 
And God loves you and I to protect us from consequences and the junk of this world. The second part, though, he says, he says, if you bear fruit, there's going to be a pruning in your life. So if you've produced fruit, if God's produced fruit through your life, there's going to be this season of pruning. And the pruning shears come out and takes away all the dead leaves, the dead parts of the branch. If you've ever done any kind of pruning, how many know like a little plant or a tree or whatever does not look good? Like it looks like a little embarrassed dog with a, the cone of shame on it, right? But it's been pruned. Why? So that it can produce fruit. You want to read a great book on this. Bruce Wilkinson's book, The Secret of the Vines, is awesome. The pruning, if you've produced fruit, expect the shears. If you've asked God to grow you, expect the shears. How can we tell the difference when we're going through things in life, whether we're being disciplined or whether we're being pruned? I think it's kind of obvious. In your life, God's going to bring consequences out of love so that you don't hurt yourself and others. And what he asks of you today, if you're caught in something and you're not checking your sin, there's not remorse, there's not a, Lord, I'm sorry, there's not a sorrow or conviction, cry out to him today. Lord, forgive me. I want to come back to you. I want to stay connected. Thank you for dying for my sin. And just reaffirm your, your need of him to him. But he's also going to prune you when you've been fruitful. I have been in a season of pruning this year. And I believe our church has been in a season of pruning. And you know what that means? It means God said, hey, you've produced, I've produced some fruit for, for, through you. But guess what? He's got more fruit to produce in each one of our lives individually and for us as a church. So as painful as it is, bring on those shears. Bring them on so that we can be more fruitful as we stay connected to Him. We stand with me and let's pray. Today, if you've never put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, today's the day to do that. Simply just call out to Him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior and I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again and I want to follow you. We're going to have some folks up here that can answer questions for you, help you on your your way and your journey with with Jesus. That's what this church is about, to help you get to know him more and to grow in community together. And for, the, for all of us in here, let's abide. Let's stay connected and maintain that living, active relationship with him through prayer, through the word, through fellowship with one another. Lord, may we as your people be fruit-bearing people of good works, of the fruit of the Spirit, character, love, patience. We thank you for what you've done in each one of our lives. We give you all the praise and glory today. Thank you for the good food we're about to enjoy. We thank you for the gazillion of blessings that we have in our life because of you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Joel has some instructions for the chili cook-off, all right? Give it up for Joel.